The righteous here simply means this. One who walks in a straight path. One who walks in a straight path. The wicked is one who has left the correct path. One who has left the correct path. Now, it's, it's entirely possible, as God is communicating to the people of Israel at this time, that the wicked are a combination of those that know the Lord and those that do not know the Lord, yet they have the same attitude. Why are we serving God? It doesn't, prophesy, it doesn't profit us anything. But then there are those that were the righteous. And, and again, those that desired to serve God, that were on the right path, they had the attitude, we get to serve the Lord. Now let me just stop and just pause for just a moment and say this. As I look at this congregation, Rebecca, my wife, um, as you know, but we have visitors here, so Rebecca, my wife, um, we've been in ministry for 22 years, and we've been part of several different churches, from being a youth pastor to a senior pastor to a children's pastor. And, and I have to say this about Community Baptist, that as I look around, there isn't anybody in my heart, in my heart as I think about it and as I observe and as I see, who is in the area of the wicked in, in the sense that why do we have to serve the Lord? Or we, we've got to serve the Lord. I, I don't sense that attitude amongst this congregation. I don't. What I sense amongst this congregation is we get to serve the Lord. But perhaps as we look at this passage of Scripture, we as individuals, not as a whole, just need to pause and, and introspect in our heart what is our attitude when it comes to serving the Lord individually? I'm not speaking to the whole body of Christ. I'm not even speaking to one individual person in my heart. I'm just communicating the gospel and the word of God. And as you hear God's word, just take a moment and just introspect your own heart. Are you going through the motions? Are you here today? just going through the motions. When you sit down in, in the morning or the evening and you're studying God's Word and you're reading it and you're spending time in prayer, what is your attitude before God? Is it that this is just mechanical? I'm going to do my three chapters and, and, and check off a box and just move on. So as we go through these passages of Scripture, just take time to look at your own heart. There, there is no attitude or desire here to condemn the body of Christ to challenge the body of Christ because somehow this church has an awful attitude. It's not that at all. I look at the body of Christ here and I see the hearts, at least I, you know, from a human perspective, and I see an attitude of desiring to serve God. But, but maybe, maybe there's a small portion in our own individual hearts where this lackluster desire of serving God is, is beginning to creep in. And so let's just take note. As we look at Malachi chapter 3, again going back to verse 13. First, we're going to look at the unprofitable servant. The unprofitable servant. The unprofitable servant, as we're going to look at verses 13 through 15, has a contentious and complaining heart. He or she has a contentious or complaining heart. And God is going to, first of all, rebuke that heart. He's going to rebuke that heart. Look at the very first part of verse 13. He says, your words have been harsh against me. Your words have been harsh against me. The word harsh there in the Hebrew simply means to be terrible, strong, or arrogant. God is rebuking them. 
And we would be mindful as we think about such passages in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45 where it says, And Jesus said here, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is telling us how we can judge a person's character by the things that they say and the things that they do. What we say ought to equal what we're doing. Okay? And so Jesus is simply saying in Luke, out of the abundance, what is, what is good in our heart, so it doesn't necessarily have to be something negative here, out of the abundance, joy comes out of one's heart, right? Out of the abundance of the mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that could be a good thing. It could be a negative thing, okay? As, as, as we speak against brothers or sisters in Christ, privately or publicly, we can speak against them, and yet, on the contrary, we can act as though we hate them, and so, or, or love them, rather. And so we've got to be careful that, that our words match up with our life, that Christ is saying. I do want to take you quickly to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 as we're on this attitude of, of the Lord communicating to the congregation of Israel about the harshness of their words. Ephesians 4, and I just want to read verses 29 and 30 to you. Verse 29 says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Uh, the word corrupt there in the Greek is, is the word for rotten. So if you were to go in the marketplace, then the marketplace, uh, they might go out there and they're looking for food and they would find some rotten meat or some rotten fruit. And so the scripture says, don't let this filth, like rotten filth, proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt word, let no rotten word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, building one another up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Then he goes on to say in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So in context, when we do have harsh or negative words that come out of our mouth, guess what we're doing as believers in Christ? We're grieving the Spirit of Christ. He is not pleased with that. And God is rebuking the people of Israel. And He's saying to them, listen, your words are revealing your character by what you're saying. By what you're saying. He again says in verse 13, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. And then God speaks for the people because He knows their heart. He can see their heart. And he says through them, Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? What have we spoken against you? And so we see that God rebukes them. And then my second thought for the unprofitable servant is this. God reveals their complacency and their complaining heart. He reveals to them three things. Number one, starting in verse 14. You have said it is useless to serve the Lord. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't ever want those words to come out of my mouth. But certainly, it's sometimes seen in the way that we behave. We would never probably want to say those things, but perhaps based upon our attitude, 
we reek of it. We reek sometimes of that attitude. In verse 14, it is useless to serve the Lord. First of all, that was a blatant lie that they had believed. It was a blatant lie. The word worthless or vain in another translation means worthless, empty, fruitless. It has no real or lasting value. One author said it like this concerning this phrase. They saw their service as vain or empty, lacking any personal fulfillment. However, the only service that brings satisfaction in life is serving God in sincerity and truth. They said, and they asked the question, God is revealing their attitude. It is useless to serve the Lord. Take a moment this morning. Now, you wouldn't probably say this. It is useless to serve the Lord. But maybe it's seen in our attitude. Maybe it's seen in our actions. Why serve in this mundane um, way or fashion? Um, I think in just about every capacity throughout ministry, Rebecca and I and my family have probably done just about every service there could be done inside the church. And uh, some of that sometimes has been vacuuming and cleaning. And sometimes that that is seen as beneath us. Um, But in my humble opinion, vacuuming up fingernails and raisins and cleaning toilet seats is just as important inside the service as what I'm doing right now before God in the sense that God is watching our heart. But we could look at that mundane service of cleaning a toilet seat or something like that and be like, why am I doing this? I'd rather be in some position of power. Well, that's important. People come into this congregation and people come into this church and and they need to see decency and order. They don't need to see mess and chaos. And so check your heart. Is what you're doing in your attitude, are you saying before God, it is useless to serve the Lord? The second thing that God calls them out on is found again in verse 14. You have said it is useless to serve God. He says, what profit? Is it that we have kept his ordinance? The word profit there is a financial term. (laughs) What personal gain is there to me in obeying God's law? Oh, man. They had just an awful attitude. What personal gain is it to me? What material gain or financial gain or value is being brought to me by serving the ordinances of God. One author said it like this. He said, what personal material benefit is it that we keep the law and ordinance of God? They did not obey out of love, but with an eye on what they could get out of God. I think in our materialistic world that we see here in America today, oftentimes that's what it's seen. If I serve in the church, and it's of no benefit to me, whether it's profit or power, then what's the point is really the attitude that is being brought here. And we could pause for just a moment and say there's a lot of eternal value in serving God as a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's point to the New Testament for just a a moment. I'll take you to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. 
Uh, Paul is imprisoned and he is uh, complimenting the Philippians on their giving to him and his needs as a missionary. And he says in Philippians chapter 4 and starting in verse 16, he says this, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once again for my necessities. And he wants to clarify his motivation in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. In other words, what Paul is saying is, as you are given to me, your missionary, God is recording this in eternity of what you have done. There's profit in serving the Lord. It may not be financial. It may not be in a position of power or prominence, but it's eternal. And we have to have that mindset that as we are serving God, there are eternal benefits to serving the Lord. And I'm not talking about trying to earn our salvation. That work has already been done in Christ Jesus. I'm talking about serving Christ as a believer in Jesus Christ. Let me take you to Matt. Matt. Let me take you to Matthew. I, I abbreviated it in my notes. Let me take you to Matt. Let me take you to my buddy, my pal. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, my good buddy. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus says here, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Years ago, this is before we had the five-pound flat-screen TVs that we have today. Um, I saw this TV set. Rebecca and I were both working for the school system. This is a long time ago, and we thought we were rolling into cash. At least I did. And um, there is this 5,000-pound flat-screen TV that came out, and I wanted that thing. I paid $1,000 for that. And I'm sure that, Rebecca, you're probably still surprised I spent that much money being as tight as I am. But it was on myself. So I treasured this thing, man. We carried it like it was a baby, mm, this TV set. That thing lasted as what, just a few years? Seven years? Seven years. Oh, I love that TV, other than the fact that it was so heavy, okay? And one day I tried to turn it on, it was gone. I mean, I had made a huge investment in this thing, a huge, $1,000. That was a long time ago. We don't even spend that kind of money on TVs today. I mean, unless they're like 3D and they're like the, the size of your wall. But, you know, I made a big investment. But guess what? In, in the book of Matthew, it's, it's rust. It's trash, it's dirt, it's gone. I literally gave it away, did I not? Some dude came to our um, yard sale and we threw it in the back of his trunk. Okay? I don't know what he did with it. Okay? Paperweight, I don't know. But it was worthless at that point. What if I had taken that much energy and put it into the things of God rather than $1,000 in a TV set that is now gone and that type of energy and and love and desire. What if I had invested that in God? 
Well, then we would see the prophet, wouldn't we? Because we're looking at things through the lens of the Scripture rather than what we can gain materially. And so the first thing that, that God reveals of their attitude is that they said it is useless to serve God. Check your heart. The second thing that we see is, what profit is there that we have kept His ordinance? What material gain, what prominence or position have we gained by serving God? But then thirdly, He calls them to task. Again, in verse 14, I'll read it again. I'll make emphasis where I want to be. You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance? Okay, and then to continue that thought, and what profit is it that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? In other words, what, what they're saying is, why are we going about acting remorseful for our national and personal sins? In other words, we're just going through the motions, and what has it gained us? Again, another author said this. He said, the skeptic's last charge was that mourning had yielded no profit either. The man had clothed themselves with dark clothing and had darkened their faces to convey grief and sorrow for the sin and plight of the nation, but concluded that their acts were useless. In other words, God, I'm going through the motions of piety and I'm none the richer for it. They had a real bad attitude when it came to serving the Lord. And we're simply here today talking to the believer and just asking, are, are these any of the attitudes in your heart when it comes to serving the God? Do you, do you begin to see it as useless? Do you begin to see it that there's no personal profit to it? If that's the direction that your heart is going, I'd say be cautioned as God is revealing that this attitude towards those that he says are wicked, those that have left the correct path that God had laid out for them. He reveals their attitude. But secondly, with this thought of God revealing, he not only reveals their attitude, but he reveals their accusation of the Lord. Look at verse 15. It says, So now we call the proud blessed. And so here the people of Israel are saying, look, look at the heathen nations around us. <laughs> those proud pagans, God has blessed them for those who do wickedness. There, God raises them up. And when those wicked people tempt God, God doesn't do anything to them. In essence, they're claiming that God is nothing more than a paper dragon. They're looking around the nations and they're seeing that this nation is blessed and that nation is blessed. And so what's the point in serving God? They're doing wickedly and yet they're living in the lap of luxury. What's the point in serving God? If God's going to bless them and their wickedness, why should I, as a child of God, serve the Lord? I want to take you to Psalms real quick. Psalms chapter 73. And in this passage of Scripture, I want you to listen to the heart of the author here. It says in Psalms 30, 73 and verse 1, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are of pure heart. 
The author says this in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than a heart could wish. They scoff and they speak wickedly concerning the oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters as full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, they are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I've done all this in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So the Lord, when you awake, you shall not despise their image. Thus, he says in verse 21, my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You uphold me with my right hand. The author of Psalm 73, in essence, is saying this. I struggled in my heart when I looked at those that were doing ungodly and wicked things, and yet they were blessed materially. And I envied them. And I asked myself the question, why am I serving God then? If there's no personal gain in it, why am I serving the Lord? And then he realized the end of those that do not know the Lord is eternal damnation. And he was reminded of how good that he had it. He was reminded of the blessing of knowing the Lord and having the eternal riches of glory. God was revealing not only their attitude, but God was revealing how he, they had accused the Lord. God, to us as believers in Christ, He is so good. We may have hardships and sorrow upon sorrow on this side of eternity. But when we pass, we have the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We are a blessed people. We are a rich people because what Christ has done for us. And when we lose that perspective, when we lose the fact of our inheritance in Christ, then we do begin to complain about what God has given to us versus what God has given to the unbelief. But here's the second thought that God begins to reveal in verses 16 through 18. He not only looks at the unprofitable servant, and again, I would encourage you to take time to look at your own heart. Do you have those same attitudes? Are you accusing the Lord of those same things or similar things? Then take a moment today and get those things right in your life. But for those this morning who are profitable servants, we look at their heart. 
And God says that they have a fearful and faithful heart. The profitable servant has a fearful yet a faithful heart before God. Let's look at them. Let's look at their character. Let's look at their life. First of all, in verse 16, we're going to observe that God is revered by the fearful and faithful servant. Look at verse 16, the very first part there. It says, Then those who feared the Lord. Then those who feared the Lord. When we're a profitable servant before God, our heart attitude is one of fear of God, one of reverence before God. John Piper said it like this. He says, To fear the Lord is to tremble at the thought of offending Him by unbelief and disobedience. It is the feeling that God is not to be trifled with, and it's the very opposite of the attitude found in the people of Malachi chapter 3, 13 through 15, who spoke with incredible swagger and arrogance. It doesn't pay to serve God, they said. Those who fear God shudder at the thought of speaking that way about their majestic Father. So a profitable servant this morning is, is one who reverence the Father. He fears the Father. They feared the Lord, which simply means they had Him in high esteem. They had awe of Him. They honored Him. They revered Him and worshipped Him as Lord God Almighty. God is revered. And that profitable servant who is fearful and who is Faithful. The second thing that we see is not only did they fear or reverence God, but they took time to meditate on His name. Look at verse 16 with me again. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. Um, so a book of remembrance was written before them for those who fear the Lord and who meditated on His Name. They feared His name. They reverenced His name, His name. But secondly, they meditated on God's name. And when we meditate on His name, when we meditate on Him, we learn of His person, His qualities, His doctrine, His ethical and moral standards. They spoke also of the Lord's name in contrast to Malachi 1.6 where they dishonored the Lord's name. They feared the Lord, in verse 16, and they meditated on His name. And so the profitable servant is one who reverence God. The profitable servant, secondly, is one that we can take great joy in this, that God remembers the fearful and the faithful servant. Look at verse 16 again, right there in the middle, starting with the word and. And the Lord listened and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him. Years ago, years ago, I went to the hospital. Uh, we had a gentleman in our church um, whose dad um, had, had a health issue and had to go to the hospital. And so we got there and um, I was there with him and his, his dad. And somehow the conversation turned political. We were looking at the age that we're living in and looking at all the calamity and the, just the, the darkness of our nation. And just there was just great gloom inside of that room as, as we were communicating and talking. His dad was a longtime preacher. 
And so we're sitting there, we're just talking, chit-chatting, ruining the moment, you know. And all of a sudden, this gentleman turned the conversation to, let's look to the return of Christ. And boy, I mean, just all of a sudden, the conversation and the joy in that room just completely changed. It just lit up that room. And as we're beginning to communicate about the things of God, unbeknownst to us outside of this passage of Scripture, God is listening to us and recording as we talk about His good name. His good name. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before them for those who feared the Lord. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36 says this, But I say to you that every idle word men may speak. They will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you are justified, and by your words you will be condemned. God is listening to everything that we say, whether that which is profitable or that which is unprofitable. In this case, God is saying, I am listening to those reverent servants of mine, and I'm recording what they say and what they speak, how they meditate on my name, and how they give me reverence. So listen, you may be saying to yourself today, what profit is it? What profit is it to serve the Lord? God's watching. He's listening. He's going to reward us for profitable conversations and moments where He listens to our words and He sees our heart as we worship Him and serve Him in truth and in spirit. God is recording that. And for what purpose? That brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 9-10. through 10. Therefore, we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether that is profitable or whether that is unprofitable, whether that is good or whether that is bad. We're not going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for our sins, but we will be judged for our service. And so as we think about serving God and communicating one to another, God is listening. Folks, that's profitable. When we're talking about Him and reverencing Him and glorifying Him and honoring Him in all things, that's profitable. But thirdly, not only does God, um, is God revered by the fearful and the faithful servant, but God remembers them. But thirdly, we see that God has a very special relationship with the fearful and faithful servant. Read with me verse 17. It says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Three thoughts we see here. Number one, in verse 17, they are, they are a treasured possession. They are a treasured possession. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we are serving God in sincerity and in truth, we are a treasured possession before the Lord. I mean, what a tremendous blessing. Listen to this translation of John chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. All His sons should serve Him, just as the Son of God became the great servant of God, listen, 
There is a special love for those who obey His command. God loves us as believers, but there's a certain closeness that God has with those that know Him and obey Him. That know Him and obey Him. They are a treasured possession. But secondly, in verse 17, they are a protected possession. They are a protected possession. On that day, I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son. Listen, as a believer in Christ, never get this in your head, that somehow because I've come to know Christ, all of a sudden life is going to get that much better. As far as material things, we're not going to suffer. We're not going to, you know, that's a lie. That's a lie. Okay? We will suffer. We're still in this broken, sinful body, yet this flesh has not been redeemed. I've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not yet in my glorified body, which is yet to come. We will suffer if we live godly on this side of eternity. The protection that we see in, in, in the New Testament is this, the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. You can hang your hat on that. Okay? We have been given eternal life through Christ Jesus. That will never be broken. We will suffer earthly battles, earthly and physical things, but we are promised God's protection eternally. Satan no longer has control or command over this body or the destiny of this soul. Jesus Christ does. And He has the same promise for you when you are in Christ Jesus. And so we see the profitable servant has a fearful and faithful heart. He reverences God. He understands that God remembers us and what we do for Him and for His glory. And we have a personal relationship with the Lord. There is a special love for those who obey His commands and try to do still more just to please Him. Let me conclude with these thoughts. First of all, what is your attitude, in conclusion, when it comes to serving the Lord? Somebody asks you here in the church to do something. What is your attitude towards that? Do you complain about it? Do you see it as an opportunity for gain? Whether that gain is for profit or the position of power in the church? So what is your attitude when it comes to serving? Think about Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served. We're talking about God in the flesh. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. What is your attitude when it comes to serving the Lord? Secondly, are you serving the Lord out of a heart of what you can get out of it rather than the joy of pleasing God? Are you serving the Lord out of a heart of what you can get out of it or are you serving to please the Lord. I think the epitome of that obviously comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's found in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded, referring to chapter 11, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
I'm not talking about sin. Just something that, that maybe keeps you from fully serving the God like you should, like the Lord like you should. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. So every weight and sin which easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking. So as we're running this race, who are we looking to? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, listen to this, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I wouldn't have looked at the cross and thought, I'm going to enjoy this. But he looked at it with the joy of in obedience to his Father in heaven. He looked at the task at hand. And there was great joy. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. Yet in Christ, it was His desire to be pleasing to the Father. And He looked at the joy and endured the cross, despising the shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thirdly, in your daily walk with the Lord, have you become mechanical or hypocritical? Have you become mechanical or hypocritical? Are you appearing to be one person in public and yet you're an entirely different person in private? Ask yourself this question. Am I an actor pretending to live a dedicated life before the Lord while in reality thinking and living the opposite? Let's close with going to the book of Colossians with that thought. Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Paul speaking here, he says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Don't do it with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. What is your attitude when it comes to serving God? Are you serving the Lord out of a heart of what you can get out of it, rather than the joy of pleasing the Lord? And thirdly, in your daily walk with the Lord, have you become mechanical and hypocritical? Only you can answer those questions. Only you can. Let's close in prayer this morning, and let's bring this before God. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this morning. Lord, thank you for passages of Scripture like this, that we look at our Old Testament accounts, and we see how the people had done so wickedly, had had such a wicked heart against you. Now here in the New Testament, we might have this attitude that, oh, look at them. Look how wicked they were and insincere that they were. Yet, God, we ourselves can be so wicked, having strayed off the right path of serving you. And we ourselves can be so insincere, Lord, in our own worship and pleasing to you. So, God, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Help us to, to truly 
in the Spirit of Christ and the Scripture, really take time to look at our heart and ask those hard questions and be able to answer them honestly, Lord, before you, so that we can be profitable servants, pleasing you, Lord, in all things. And so, Father, we leave you in complete control and command of every heart here this day. And Lord, just asking that you would do a mighty work in all of our lives as we seek to please you. And in a final note, Lord, if there is one here today that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our prayer is, Lord, that they would come to know him. Our prayer is that they would see the sin that's in their life and see that God, that your wrath is upon sin and the sinner, and that wrath can only be pleased in what Christ has done. Father, may they see that, understand that, and may they receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you this day that we can celebrate our moms. We thank you for them. We ask that you bless them in all things. We'll pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.